So I'm Micah, for those that don't know me. Um, and yeah, I, I do feel like it's a privilege for me to come up and share about singleness. And, you know, when Fred emailed me to ask if I would be interested in sharing this message on this topic, I initially felt very honored and um, excited, you know, like, wow, like Fred trusts me to speak at our church. It's a big honor. And then I quickly thought, well, what does this mean for my life, right? Did he pick me because I'm the single person that is just going to be single the rest of their life? Is this some sort of prophecy that he's speaking over me? Like, hey, you're going to be the single person that will talk about this topic. Um, I'm approaching my mid-30s, and I will have to admit that singleness has been a challenge for me. Um, I think mostly it's because I don't feel like I have a good vision of what it looks like to be a single person Christian, um, living for the Lord while wanting and interested in pursuing a relationship. And I look around me and most people my age are married, have been married for a while, have kids, um, or they seem to be pretty content and satisfied with their singleness. Like they're not necessarily looking to be in a relationship. It's not a priority for them. And I think there's a, a desire for me to, or a wish that there were older single people at the church that can kind of show me the ropes and help me to figure this out of what it looks like to really live as a Christian and, and be single and glorify God in that. Um, last, week, last week, Austin talked about dating, and I'm sure many of us can relate to that. Um, I have also had experiences being on the dating apps and dating. Um, and you know, when you're on the apps, you get you get excited, you, have, you create this profile, you're looking forward to connecting with someone, you go on these dates, and then quickly you realize like, oh, this isn't working out, right? You're not finding that connection with the person, maybe your values are different, or whatever reason it is, it just isn't working. And then you get exhausted. I don't know if you relate to this, but I get exhausted because it's like, I'm putting myself out there, um, and then I take a break from the apps and take a break from dating. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to focus on myself. And then I feel lonely or I feel like, oh, I want to be with someone. And then it's like this cycle that kind of goes on and on. And I think for me, you know, as the dates come and go and the years go by, and it just seems harder and harder for, for me to find a person that I match well with. And then there's sort of this like inner desperation that I have um, of like, gosh, like I really want to be in a relationship um, but again, I want to uh, glorify God in my singleness as well. So there's sort of this tension. So I am sharing today um, as someone who's experiences some of these challenges of being single, but I do want to say that my story is just my story. I don't aim or like aim to speak on behalf of all single people because I know that there are people that have different experiences, right? People are single Maybe they went through a divorce, or they're widowed, or there's other reasons why they're single. So I'm definitely not an expert, so don't see me as an expert, um, of how to live the single life the best, but I hope that I can share some thoughts, particularly on what the Bible says, and how we might live out those principles. So I wanted to give kind of a guideline of what I want to share um, for those of you that are interested in knowing where we're going, those planners out there. Um, so my plan is to share two extremes. Uh, so one extreme view is a pop culture's view of singleness, and then the other extreme view is the church's typical view of singleness. 
And then I want to share a third better way of viewing singleness based on what we, we see in the Bible. And then um, end with just a practical way that we can live for the single people to live out their singleness and how the church can support them. So we'll start with the pop culture's typical view of singleness. So what is that view? Uh, it's an admiration. It's a pursuit. It's a good thing. You're not tied down to a spouse or kids. You have unlimited freedom. You can live for your dreams, throw yourself in your career. You can travel the world. And best of all, you can sleep with as many people as you like. There is a website called marriage.com, interestingly, that had an article titled The 25 Unexpected Benefits of Being Single. And number five on the list is the sex life. The article quotes, one of the positives of being single is that it gives you the chance to engage in certain social circumstances without remorse and have one-night stands without feeling guilty or pressured. Casual sex and casual dating are great ways to explore yourself sexually and better understand what you want in bed. And this is why being single is better, because you get a chance to explore, yet stay guilt-free in your clandestine affairs. So this article um, goes along with this idea that the single life is a life of the epitome of independence. And I think it's funny how while the while pop culture portrays a single life as glamorous and full of possibility and happiness, it also admits that there are issues with being single and that everyone should be in a loving relationship with whoever they like. So essentially, pop culture says you should take full advantage of your singleness and do whatever, doing whatever you want. And when you get lonely and want to be with someone, go ahead and hook up with someone. Just don't commit to them or have them disrupt the joys of your independent single life. Pop culture's view of singleness is ultimate bliss because you can live however you like to live. There's no attachments, there's no commitments, there's no spouse, no family to tie you down, taking up time away from your personal desires and pursuits and ambitions. You can live for yourself. Everything is for you. Your time, your money, your goals. You are your own God. So that's the extreme, first extreme view, the typical pop culture view of singleness. And what about the other extreme, the common church view of singleness? Um, Although singleness outside the church may be revered because of the joy of independence and free time and all those reasons that I mentioned before, inside the church, single people can often feel neglected, dismissed, or seen as second-class citizens. And many times in the church, it's not really said out loud or, you know, voiced directly, but they're often seen in subtle ways. Um, I used to go to a larger church, and the emphasis at this church was on these family ministries and generational ministries, which is great. But there was this, um, all the focus and attention was on kids ministry, youth ministry, and then it was like marriage and like families, right? And there was this absence of like single adults um, that were ministered to or taken care of at this church. And even if they had a group at the church, it was more like, oh, let's gather the single people together and have them like find someone that they can like be on a date with and like get married quickly and then move on to marriage and like family. Um, and even when you like first meet someone, you know, the first questions you tend to ask that person are, hey, what's your name? Where do you work? And are you dating someone? Do you have a spouse? Um, And again, that's not bad. Those are great questions. But I think there's kind of this underlying assumption that 
having a significant other is the right way to live. Or it feels like sometimes spiritual maturity is equated with being married and having kids. Uh, I mean, think about how many single pastors that you know of out there. There's probably not many. Singleness is often seen as a curse, a problem to fix, like let me fix you up with someone. Um, In the show New Girl, this is like the first episode, Jess is on a date with someone and the person doesn't show up. So she ends up eating bread by herself, looking sad because no one is there for her. And the waitress comes by and says, hey, like, we have to give your table to someone else. And I know this example is from pop culture, but I think it portrays kind of this picture of what people in the church often feel like um, or have a perspective on singles, right? That's to be pitied. It's kind of a sad state. You don't want to be in this position. um, And it's something to kind of fix or cure. Or you think about the fairy tale books and the Disney movies out there, uh, like Snow White or Sleeping Beauty. Um, their life isn't complete until they have the prince's kiss, right? At the end, the prince comes in and saves them from whatever distress they're in, and then they go off and live happily ever after. And I think the idea behind that is that a significant other or a spouse it is what makes a happily ever life. Single Christians can also struggle with loneliness. Um, When you're in your early to mid-20s, it's not that big of a deal, but when you begin approaching your late 20s, your late 30s, you see your friends get married off, right? And I'm sure some of us can relate to this, um, where, you know, you tell your friend, like, hey, we're going to, like, stay close, we'll be, like, connected and just continue our friendship, and things don't necessarily stay the same because, you know, they get... um, focus on their spouse and their kids and their family and that friendship dynamic changes. And I've seen this happen over and over again in my life in the past 10 years. You know, I have roommates, they come and go, they meet someone, which is great, and they get married, and then we lose touch, and then it's kind of this weird thing where I'm like, well, these friends that I had before are now focused on their family, and I like still want to hang out with people and like have friends, so I like make new friends, and then there's this like gap between like my age and like the friends that I have that I hang out with, um, which is interesting. So to recap, uh, this is the second extreme view. Um, single Christians can often feel neglected from the life of the church. They can feel like second-class citizens because of the pressure to get married and the curse of singleness. And then they can struggle with loneliness, particularly with friends moving on and an absence of a family. So again, there's this one extreme, the pop culture's extreme view on singleness that is saying, yes, singleness is awesome. It's something to enjoy and, you know, you have independence to do whatever you want. And then the other extreme is the church, church's typical view of singleness, that it's a curse. It's something to be avoided at all costs. And there's this pressure and push towards marriage and family. And I think both of these are unhealthy extremes. So I wanted to propose a third um, way that we can view singleness and live out our singleness as single people. And it's found in the Bible. So I wanted to take a look at how the Bible addresses singleness. Um, And we're going to start with Genesis, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, as many of us are familiar with, we know that God creates everything. He creates Adam and Eve, who are the first human beings, and um, he actually creates marriage, right? He 
commands uh, or institutes marriage and says to Adam that this, the man will hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's in Genesis 2. And then God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. And so one of the main purposes of marriage is for um, the, married, the couple to have physical children. Marriage and children are highly prized in the ancient Near East, and we see this all throughout the Old Testament. Um, they are seen as signs of blessing from God. So think about maybe your understanding of the Old Testament. There's not many single people that are mentioned in the history of the nation of Israel. It's normative for people to find a spouse, to get married, and have children. And oftentimes it's at a young age. Um, in fact, it's only through Abraham's marriage to Sarah and a child from them, Isaac, that God's promise, his covenant promise to Abraham and to his descendants would be fulfilled, right? It's not through um, Abraham's child with Hagar, uh, Ishmael. So the Old Testament stresses physical family, but the New Testament actually shifts to focus on spiritual family. And there's the first passage that we'll see um, on the screen, I think. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. And um, I find this very interesting because in this passage, Jesus is teaching to the crowds and the disciples. And someone says, hey, your mom and your brothers and your sisters, your family are wanting to talk to you. And how does Jesus respond to that? He doesn't, you know, you might expect him to leave right away and go, oh my gosh, my mom wants to talk to me. Like, I want to honor my parents. Like, oh, my brothers, like, this is my physical family that I want to make sure that I can see what they need. He actually doesn't do that. He takes this moment to share this teaching and this lesson. And he replies by saying, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then it says, he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So what is Jesus doing here? He is saying, hey, actually, it's not really much about physical family as much as it is about spiritual family, right? I'm including all these people who um, are doing the will of God in heaven as my family members, as a spiritual family of God. And that goes beyond... Um, you know, ethnicity or cultural background, that all people um, who believe in Jesus and, you know, share the same faith are part of God's family. So although the Old Testament stresses that blessing comes from marriage and physical children, the New Testament brings about this new paradigm, that blessing comes from Jesus' work on the cross and those who have put their faith and trust in him. Barry Danilak is this guy who wrote this book on redeeming singleness, and he has a quote that says, Paul, the Apostle Paul, recognized that the magnitude of the covenantal blessing that comes through Christ in the new covenant dwarfs by comparison all other material blessings of God that feature prominently in the Sinai or Old Covenant. In the new covenant, we find no mention of the familial blessings of offspring and marriage or of a fruitful and prosperous land so prominent as markers of God's blessing in the Sinai covenant. Rather, the fullness of God's blessing comes to us through Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross, whereby he has fully reconciled us to God and made us co-heirs in the inheritance of his kingdom. 
So Danilek is saying in this quote in his book that, um, again, the Old Testament was primarily about receiving uh, blessings of God from um, family, uh, and it's seen through the land that God gives the nation of Israel. And then there's this shift here that there's this fullness of God's blessing through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. And he ends this section by saying, thus Paul, who is a single man, devoid of wife, children, house, home, land, possessions, and financial prosperity, nevertheless recognized that he, even as a simple itinerant missionary on this earth, possessed the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And that is given to all of us as well, single um, or married. Additionally, while the Old Testament focuses on having physical children to carry on the legacy of faith, the New Testament focuses on making disciples or having spiritual children and carry on the legacy of faith. Remember Jesus, he is God and was single his whole life, right? He never had a wife or a spouse, um, didn't have his own kids. But he taught, mentored, and discipled his followers who believed and accepted him and then started the early church after he ascended to heaven. And what, was his, what were his final words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 30, verses 19 to 20? Um, he doesn't tell them, hey, go find a wife and get married and have kids and live happily ever after, right? He says, this is a great commission that I think many of us are familiar with. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That was the final charge, right, that Jesus felt, hey, I need to leave my disciples with this um, commission for them to do. And when you think about Paul the Apostle, again, he was also single his whole life as well. He didn't have any physical children, but he had a lot of spiritual children like Titus or Timothy or Onesimus, and would often use language throughout the New Testament in his letters to address them with this like parental affection. Uh, he would say things like, my true child in the faith, or I became your father in Christ Jesus, or even mentioned that he was like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And I wanted to end our time in the Bible with the main chapter that talks about singleness, which is 1 Corinthians 7. Um, Paul teaches believers here that both singleness and marriage are good gifts from God, but he actually emphasizes that singleness is better in the sense that believers can devote their time and energy to the things of God. And I'm going to start with um, verses 6 through 8. Uh, I won't read the whole chapter because it's kind of long, but we'll start with 6 to 8. And it says this, um, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul kind of starts this section by saying, hey, it's good, right? It's not a curse. It's not something to be avoided. It's not something to get rid of or to be healed of from. It is good for people to be single. And he continues by saying why it's good for them. And I'm going to read this passage from uh, going down to verse 25. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. 
Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. And then he ends this by saying, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So what is Paul's point here? He's saying people who marry right, and have kids will experience worldly troubles that those who are single might not necessarily experience. I mean, you can probably talk to someone maybe after service or something. You can talk to someone who's married or has kids, right? And, um, or just see their life, right? There's a lot of challenges that come from um, being married or raising kids, right? Or con- being concerned about finances and providing for your family or raising up your children in this culture. There's a lot of fear and anxiety that comes through those experiences um, that single people uh, don't have. And he goes on, and I'm going to finish with this section, um, verse 32, and continues this idea, and he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul is speaking generally here. Obviously, it's not that every single person is going to be fully devoted to God and every married person is not, but I think he kind of, the point behind this passage is saying that when you are single, you are able to more fully devote yourself to God and his kingdom, right? And the things of the Lord. And when you're married, that um, attention and that uh, space, that time in your life is divided, right? To your spouse and then to God. So again, Paul is bringing up these ideas because he's saying singleness is a good thing. And he encourages people um, to see that and to live their singleness in a way that will um, further devote themselves to the Lord. And when you think about Paul's life, right? Paul, the apostle, he was called by God to preach to the Gentiles. He went on all these missionary trips. He traveled all over um, and you know, went to different places to preach, to share about his faith, to grow disciples and to start churches. He faced a lot of opposition and persecution, right? And think about like, would he have been able to been as free to do that stuff if he had a wife and kids? Probably would have been a lot harder for him, if not impossible to travel and to be bold, to proclaim in these areas where they're very hostile to the gospel. Um, And like we're seeing the benefit and the, the amazing uh, contribution that Paul made to God's kingdom today, right? The, the spread of the message to um, other people. And there was this, again, kind of tying back to this idea of spiritual family, right? Paul was um, investing in the spiritual family of God. So what is the better way? The third way between the extremes of pop culture's view of singleness as complete autonomy and freedom and the church's view of singleness as a curse. And I would propose that the better way um, 
is for single people to live out your singleness by taking advantage of the flexibility of time and, and availability to serve God and others, to be invested in the spiritual family, um, whether that's serving a ministry role as a church or discipling spiritual children. Obviously, it's, it's totally good and okay to continue to desire and work towards a relationship and marriage. Um, like I said before, and like Paul mentions, marriage is good, right? It's a good gift from God. And singleness is also a good gift from God. But I think um, for those who are single, you can find ways to contribute to the kingdom of God that may not necessarily be available to you if you were married and had your own family. We can change the tide of the extreme views of singleness. Instead of living out of complete independence for whatever desire we wish, we can choose to commit and engage in a local body of fellow believers to sacrifice our own needs to give and serve others. Instead of idolizing marriage and seeing singleness as a curse, we can remind ourselves that God is who we ultimately desire and need, not a spouse to complete us. And we can enjoy this season of singleness and pursuing different types of relationships, contributing our gifts to serve the church, and growing intimacy in God while trusting that he will provide and lead us to the right person if that's his plan for us. So ultimately, whether we're single or married, we want to remind ourselves that our lives are not our own. We were bought with the blood of Jesus on the cross. And that means that our lives are not defined by our marital status. They're not defined by our single status. They're defined by being children of God, made in God's image to live for him. You know, God doesn't guarantee that we will have a spouse or kids. He doesn't guarantee that we'll have the perfect family that we would like. Um, but what he does guarantee is that he will be with us. He will provide comfort and strength. He will um, give us his peace and he will sustain us with his grace. And God will never leave us. He is always with us. And his plan for us is greater than what oftentimes we think for ourselves, right? And so that requires for us to trust and believe that God does have our best interests in mind. So I wanted to end just with the final word, um, uh, how we can do this practically. So I kind of mentioned this already before, but I think for single people, um, think about how you might use this season of singleness to invest in your spiritual family. Find joy in the beauty of church community, even though it might look different than you expect. And I've kind of experienced this in the past few years that my relationships um, have kind of shifted, right? That typically when we're younger, we have mostly hang out with people our age or our peers. And then again, when I mentioned before that when my friends got married um, and had their own kids and stuff, that things kind of changed. But I found the joy in having like um, older men and women in the church to mentor me and, and pour themselves into my life. And I've also enjoyed being able to personally invest in the lives of my high school students, uh, whether it's at church or the school that I teach at. Um, and even though I don't have kids of my own, right, I have my friend's kids that I can play with if I want to play with them. So, um, so the question that I have for singles is what might it look like for you to engage with the family of God? And then for those who are not single um, and want to support singles, which I hope that's everyone here, is how 
might you welcome and include single people into your family as spiritual family members? An example of this that I experienced was last year. Um, the mocks invited me over to their house for like a random dinner. And um, I don't know if it was random for them, but it was random for me. Uh, it was like a weeknight. And they're like, hey, come on over. And I was like, oh, cool. And uh, um, yeah, we, I went over and they made dinner. And we just sat around the dinner table. I sat with their family and we prayed. And then Fred like shared a devotion and his kids like answered questions from the devotion. I don't know if that was like normal, but it was, it was what happened. And then we played Cover, Cover Your Assets, this card game. Um, and I think we played something else too. But it was really neat because I felt welcomed, right? Even though I wasn't part of their like physical family, I felt like I was part of their spiritual family that, hey, like they thought to consider me and to bring me in as someone who doesn't have his own family. Um, so my encouragement for all of us today is to see the ways that we can work to support each other as a family of God. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for um, your word and the ways that you work in our lives and just for um, helping us to see that uh, we can um, be a part of this spiritual family. And I pray, uh, whether we're single or married, Lord, that we can find ways to um, experience the joy of that and help us, um, remind us of, of your love for us and the ways that you are always constant in the difficult, ch different challenges that we might experience. Um, and I just pray that we uh, can set our eyes on you and um, really devote our lives to, to you and to your kingdom. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.